I'm Eddie. I'm Sammy. And this is Housewarming Party. <laughs> I tried to mix it up this time. You made it really like Housewarming Party. <laughs> I was me trying a little... to do like a minor key. Yeah? Yeah. What does a major key sound like? See, you just called me out. Why'd you have to do that? You got me. <laughs> <laughs> Housewarming Party, a podcast about fact-checking journalists on Twitter. Oh, tell me about fact-checking journalists on Twitter. Ugh. What happened are we this gonna, week, Edward? We're we just going to jump right Let's in there. Let's get into it. <laughs> um, well, we um, mentioned a couple times on this podcast that mm-hmm. my friend Diane Morales is running for the mayor of New York City, mm-hmm. first Puerto Rican woman ever. Um, an amazing woman, single mom. Mm-hmm. Um, she's run multiple organizations. We are Team Diane. Team Diane. Um, she is a community leader. She was out and continues to be out on the streets. Her children were pepper sprayed, pepper sprayed a few weeks ago. Mm. Um, and she's been interviewed in a couple of news outlet outlets. And recently, one journalist um, was kind of naming the two front runners, um, both of whom are. Um, in elected office right now, both of whom are white men, mm-hmm. um, and kind of mentioned that they are the have like the left wing, the left voice, kind of like locked right. up. In there the next is moment. no left candidate. There is of no color. other left. Uh, there is no other left candidate at all. Mm. And there's a particular kind of vacuum of candidates of color. Yeah. Um, which I find kind of mildly annoying. Yeah. Um, considering that um, he obviously doesn't know about Dan Morales, except the fact but that. But he did. He does. Mm-hmm. And has interviewed her, mm-hmm. which I found, okay, now I'm more than annoyed. I'm kind of pissed off. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of watching the Twitter feed. Now, mind you, I'm really on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of saw his kind of apology. I'm sorry I didn't mention you in that. No, 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 I'm sorry. His first response was, I'm, I'm confused. confused. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, which part are you confused? The fact that she's a candidate? The fact that she's a person of color? Or the fact that she is left-leaning? Because anybody who's had a conversation with Diane for right. more than a minute and a half right. will be absolutely convinced of all those three. And Anyone, you did. <laughs> I was say, you did have that conversation with her. Which one? No, the guy. Like, he interviewed her. How oh, and he, he did, yeah. Right. How did he not, in any of that, get that she is a left candidate? Like, what? I, and and so, A, I mean, just, and um, you can even, you can probably kind of see it on my kind of Twitter feed where I kind of screenshotted it and then kind of redlined his response mm-hmm. um, and kind of corrected it. I'm thinking, no, no you're not. Um, confused, you're wrong. Yeah. And no, you know, this is not a question. It's a statement. She is a progressive candidate. Right. Um, and you should have known better. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he kind of put her in a position of having to kind of prove herself yeah. um, is just such a disgusting kind of display of kind of, once again, kind of making kind of women of color um, do the work. He could have yeah. done a quick Google search. 
yeah. quick Google image search if he needed to. Uh, a quick search of his memory. Quick like search this, of his memory. That's the part that really gets me. He interviewed her. And like, then he apologized what? and said that um, he was sorry for not including her in the tweet. Yeah. Which is, to me, the kind of the bare minimum of a half-assed apology. Right. And so I screenshotted that, redlined that, <laughs> because I feel like, you know, there was about 50% of that apology was missing. Right. I apologize and right. um, I'm going to correct and or amend my tweet. I apologize and right. um, I've kind of looked at some of my own biases right. um, because because that's really harmful. going to happen I mean, again. a lot of people, let's be honest, a lot of people are not going to see the apology, but they saw the Absolutely. first tweet. And what you said basically was, here are your only two options if you want a left candidate, and they're both white dudes. Yeah. These are your only choices. This is your hope. Like, no, no, no. Yeah. Diane is my hope. Yeah. Housewarming Party endorses Diane Morales for mayor. <laughs> I'm going to say it. I, can't, I cannot endorse her at my job. I can't endorse her, you know, as an organization. As a person, I endorse her. As a person, I am voting for her. As a person, I have contributed to her campaign, and I think y'all should too. Yeah. I think you all should look at Diane Morales. Diane, what is it, Diane.NYC? Is that Diane her? Diane uh, for NYC. Di- the number four NYC. But her web address. Diane, um, Diane4NYC.com? We're going to put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, and you should give to her and you should check her out, you know, because she's really like, that's the candidate we should be supporting. Yeah. Um, she is kind of the underdog at the moment, and she's going to need a lot of support. And so I want people to really, really get excited about her. Yeah. Um, she is the kind of change that New York City needs. And I have to say, I mean, I would love to see kind of more people of color. I'd love to see more women of color kind yeah. of running. And um, I would love to see a kind of contentious... Um, kind of crowded field of candidates between now mm-hmm. um, and the mayoral, mayoral race next year. Yeah. Um, but right now, she's got my... She got my vote. Got my vote. She got my vote. Now it's time for an icebreaker. Each episode, we'll pick a question from one of our icebreaker cards and take turns answering the question on that card. If you want to play along at home, you can send us your answer at housewarmingpartypod at gmail.com and we'll read it on next week's episode. All right, so today's question is, what book have you read recently that you would recommend and why? Mm-hmm. Or I would add, um, what book has kind of shaped or informed you and why? Ooh, stop. No. That's way too broad. Um, <laughs> A book I've read recently that I can recommend. I think the last thing that I read recent that I would like to recommend to people is actually a journal. It's called Transgender Studies Quarterly. Um, it is a quarterly. It's published by Duke Press, I think. Um, and it's just sort of like a quarterly publishing of like the most recent emerging like scholarship and, and stuff like that. Research. Um, which I think is a thing that people don't think about. They don't think that there's like trans scholarship. They don't think there are trans experts in any particular field. Uh, and I would really, I would really challenge that. I think the most recent one was like trans. It wasn't like trans in fashion. There was like one that was trans and pornography. And just to like to to get that sort of like full breadth of like trans life from these really like in, incredible sources that come with like the facts and the receipts. Uh, so I would recommend Trans Studies Quarterly. What about you? Um, I have not read a whole lot recently. Um, I mean, we live together. We kind of yeah. rarely have time to kind of sit down and just kind of read a book. Yeah. Um, that's why I was like, for you, you are a kind of voracious reader. Mm. I'm not. Mm. Um, and so kind of picking a recent book would be hard. Picking a book in my lifetime is a little bit easier because I've read more books in yeah. general yeah. <laughs> than I had the last year. Anyway, yeah. um, for me, I would say probably one of the most influential books was The Color Purple. 
Okay. Um, and I say that because um, I was never, I never enjoyed reading. Um, reading has always been a chore for me, mm-hmm. um, which is ironic because I spent a lot of my career and a lot of my education reading. Um, and um, in my junior year in college, I took a year off and did some volunteer work in Puerto Rico, working at a nursing home and a summer camp. Um, and Color Purple was the first book that I kind of picked up and read just for the sheer enjoyment. Mind mm. you, I'm like in college by this point, yeah. which meant that I did not read for pleasure in elementary school or grade school. Um, and it was a series of letters between Anastasia and her sister, yeah. which is perfect for me because I spent a lot of time writing letters to my friends who were also kind of um, taking a break. There was a minor major exodus of Latino leadership Mm. um, from Princeton at that time. And so we were all spread out around the country and around the world. And so I'm writing letters to my friend Eddie in Chile and my friend Trish in Colombia and um, friends of mine who are back on campus and friends Mm -hmm. who are kind of studying abroad um, in other parts of the world or in the country or or my roommate in Moscow. And Mm. so um, kind of read this book about letters um, while simultaneously kind of writing letters. It was a very kind of meta experience. Yeah. I don't know if it developed a kind of love of reading, a love of reading for me. Um, yeah, but it kind of kickstarted something. Yeah, I want to say okay. So a couple of other books I've read lately. I love books. <laughs> no, I, love I know you do. <laughs> um, I read a really great anthology of short stories. Um, it's called "Painting Their Portraits in Winter" by Miriam Gurba. I highly recommend her. This is not a plug, although it's going to sound like a plug. I recently read an audiobook, uh, or I narrated an audiobook. You know, so so the book itself has not been published yet, but when it gets published, I recommend it, not just because I narrated it. Matter of fact, don't get the audiobook because you're going to hear more of this. The book is called The 30 Names of Night by Zain Jukhadar, um, and it's like a modern-day magic realist kind of a book, uh, which, re- I mean, that really touched me, because first of all, like, magic realism is something that we consider very Latin American, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to get this book that is very like rounded and, and inspired by magic realism from a Syrian author, um, yeah. that is like Syrian American, uh, based in New York, and the main character is an Arab trans man. I think like I've never felt more seen by a book ever. I'm 32 years old now, and the first time that I've had a character that so closely reflects me and a book that so closely speaks to my heart was the Thirty Names of Night. And I think that that's something, as we talk more, you know, about the theme of today's episode, that white people are never going to know what it feels like to wait so long just to see yourself in fiction. Yeah. To like, and, and, and to, to desperately try to make any little thing that even vaguely reflects you fit, you know, and to be hungry for like the tiniest bit of like bare minimum representation. Um, like they're just never going to know what that's like. For so long, I like tried to make all kinds of things fit that really weren't me, but they were because I just wanted to see myself so bad. I wanted to know I belonged in these stories and these worlds. And uh, this is the first time that I've like it's been handed to me. Like here it is. This is exactly the thing you're looking for. Not even the bare minimum. It goes above and beyond. And so it it did have a profound impact on me um, just now. Uh, so I would recommend that. There's a lot of I mean, there's a lot of good work by people of color. That we can support, that we can support people of color. We don't, and and we can see ourselves in their work, and we don't need to like give all of our money to um, a J.K. Rowling, for example. You know, just pulling that one out of the ether, <laughs> and desperately trying to see ourselves in those worlds, even though it'll never happen. And the author hates us. The author hates us, but loves our money. 
but there are artists out there that are creating the work that like centers us first and foremost. And it's it's like, why are we desperately trying to make her become a different person other than the sort of like hateful person that she is? And, she and will never, has not, never claim to be otherwise. She has never claimed to be otherwise. She has always done the bare minimum of tweeting, Dumbledore was gay. Um, there was at least one Jewish person at Hogwarts. No, 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 no. There's one gay, there's one uh, Asian person, Cho Chang, or, you know, like always the bare minimum of representation. Meanwhile, there are authors out there of the communities, the same communities as us, writing work for us who desperately need the same platform and desperately need the same kind of money. And we're fighting so hard to get a rich white woman to change, and we don't have to do that. Remember, if you want to play along at home, send your answer to housewarmingpartypod at gmail.com and we'll read it on next week's episode. Yalla, that's it for Icebreakers. So we did not record an episode last week. Mm -hmm. Um, It just didn't feel right with everything that was going on. Um, Even in our previous episode, which is our anniversary episode, um, things had already started to kind of heat up um, in the city and around the country. Mm. Um, And so this is kind of our first time kind of coming back. And we really want to kind of hit the kind of right note with this, um, talking about what's on our minds and in our hearts um, and really kind of speaking to the grief and the rage and the hope that is kind of in present for us. I think this has been a long time coming, but it has become something that I want to talk about more and more, especially because yesterday a couple of friends of mine who are non-white but not black um, have been posting, oh, there's so much negativity on my timeline. I just want to see some positivity and, and good vibes only and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what's more important than good vibes? Black people. I mean, there have been several high-profile murder cases within the last couple of weeks, but even just this past week, two more trans women, two more mm. black trans women were murdered. Violently, like, horrifically. Um, so much so that, you know, social media is an interesting thing because you don't post and then people say, oh, you're not posting, where are you? Why don't you have an opinion on this? And then you do post and, I mean, my opinion is it's not my time to talk. And also, I no longer post news articles of trans death because the article almost always contains um, an instance of misgendering, mm-hmm. um, use of the, the victim's dead name, mm-hmm. um, or the details of the crime. And uh, I happen to read the two for this past week. Um, and they're both, they're both brutal. Like, I, yeah. I can't bring myself to speak it right now. And I, why would I share that? Because, you know, every time I share it, the only people who read are other trans people. Yeah. So I'm preaching to the choir. The only people who read are, are other trans people, and the people who need to read seem pretty silent as far as, you know, from where I'm sitting. Um, so why would I re-traumatize other trans people with the details of somebody's violent death? And not, you know, if, if nothing's, you know, maybe it would, it would behoove cis people to know exactly how bad it is. But it doesn't help my trans friends to know, oh, yeah, this is our daily life, especially for black trans people, especially for black trans women. Yeah. So why would I, why would I reshare that? And then to have some, some of my non-black 
but POC friends go, oh, I need, I need positivity. I'm like, you, you actually don't get to look away right now. I would love positivity right now, you know? And I find the joy where I can. I find the joy in living with you. I find the joy in my friends. But also, you don't get to look away from something that is somebody else's everyday life. Yeah. This is a black trans woman's everyday life. This is being black in America every day, yeah. it seems like. I mean, I will never know because I'm not black. But we don't get to look away because we're uncomfortable. In fact, I don't think that that's what the situation needs right now. Yeah. I think, in fact, it behooves us as anybody who's not black to do more legwork and do more emotional labor on behalf of black people. Yeah. And I think that's why that tweet mm-hmm. um, kind of pissed me off so much yesterday. The one with Diane? Um, yeah, the one with Diane, because in the midst of all of this going on, the fact that she was so, as a black Puerto Rican woman mm-hmm. um, with decades of kind of experience was so easily um, dismissed. Um, the fact that the journalist's response was to make her do more work, the fact that his apology was so half-assed just made me um, be like, this is not the time for any of that. Um, and just the kind of the insensitivity and the, and the fact that, oh, this is not going to get any better anytime soon yeah. because it's so entrenched, um, not just by this one person, but in journalism specifically um, and institutions more broadly. I mean, Diane was just out in the streets protesting and had to watch her children get pepper sprayed and had to watch cops try and snatch up her son while they're protesting. She's already doing enough work. Women of color, people of color, black people specifically right now are doing a lot of work. You know, and that's, that's important. And I just fucked up. It's not just people of color. It is specifically black people right now who are going through a lot and who are doing a lot of legwork and a lot of emotional labor and physical labor on behalf of us right now to organize, to educate, to explain, to speak, on behalf of their community, that even things like that, even something like that, that, oh, it's just a tweet, oh, I'm confused, says the white journalist. No, you are creating more work for a black woman right now who needs to focus on making sure her family is safe mm-hmm. and also running her campaign. And it's, it's important. I mean, it's important to make that distinction that this is specifically a black issue right now. Maybe it isn't always, you know, It's not like nobody else has ever experienced racism. White people, you've not experienced racism. But it's not like any other person of color has never experienced racism. This is an epidemic of violence that faces black people first and foremost. And it doesn't help when some of our POC friends, you know, kind of double back. And when when somebody says black, they're like, you mean people of color. I don't right now, actually. Do people say that, too? Yes. Have you never heard that? You mean people of color. This is a POC issue. Right now, it's a black issue. And there are a lot of, like, I'm only going to speak for my communities. There are a lot of Latinos, especially light-skinned Latinos, who are, like, trying to fall back on, but I'm a person of color. Like, But it's not going to be the same for you. Yeah. That I definitely got to hear a lot of. Yeah. Um, And I think, especially right now, I think a lot about the role of non-black people of color. Right. Um. And even, you know, for the two of us, you know, who are mm. anywhere between kind of cafe con leche um, yes. or... <laughs> little leche. cinnamon sugar. Exactly. Little Depending on what time of the year. Right. Um, and so we don't read as white. Right. Um, but we enjoy a lot of 
privileges that are afforded to light-skinned people. Right. Um, and so I feel like we have access to lots of spaces, mm -hmm. to um, people of color spaces and some black spaces right. um, and white spaces. Right. Um, and that access gives us a lot of kind of responsibility. Yeah. Um, and so I've been kind of thinking about my role and, and why it kind of irks me when I see kind of friends of mine kind of posting. And I know it's meant to be out of solidarity where they feel like, oh, this could be my son. I'm thinking, yeah, but your son is even lighter than you are. And yeah. so I, I understand you're trying to empathize, but by making this about you, yeah. um, you're kind of kind of missing the point. Um, or, when the, or when kind of particularly light-skinned, yeah. um, and particularly Latinos, yeah. um, talk about white privilege mm -hmm. um, and as if they don't have it. Right. Um, it kind of irks me. Yeah. And so they'll kind of forward articles, and I'm thinking, okay, um, it's important for kind of white people to think about privilege, but it's important for white Latinos yeah. um, to kind of think about it as well. Hello. Um, and to talk about it in our families and in our friend circles and on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and, and to step up. And, and to do the work um, as people of color with privilege. Yeah. You know, I think about that, you know, and, and we both had kind of our own experiences, both kind of with violence and yeah. with police. Yeah. Um, and my experiences, my interactions with the police have been very limited mm -hmm. um, and not good. Yeah. Um, and so, but having said that, I, I don't kind of fear for my life. Mm -hmm. um, I I was gonna say do, I don't hesitate to call nine one one if I am in an emergency, but I hesitated even saying it. Mm. Um, so I guess I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't call nine one one anymore. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, you know, I, I have a mistrust of the police. I have a fear of the police, and yet I have left every encounter with the police with my life. Um, I did a a couple of speaking engagements recently, specifically on LGBTQ plus history, um, talking about how. Um, Anti-sodomy laws were repealed nationwide in 2003, yeah. if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, 2002, 2003? Uh, yeah, I think 2002. Uh, with the case Lawrence v. Texas. Um, a lot of people know the case Lawrence v. Texas as, oh, oh, these Supreme Court judges, they decided love is love and what we do in our own home is, is our business. And that's not actually the case. Because of will and grace. Because of the will and grace era of us like sort of, oh, if we can see a person on TV that's gay and realize they're just like us, we'll be fine. Um, and the reality was the people at the heart of the case were not just like us. They were middle to lower middle income individuals. Um, they were not in a relationship. In fact, uh, the main plaintiff, Lawrence, was in a long-time relationship with a man named Jose Garcia. And the other plaintiff in the case, Tyrone Garner, was, uh, I think, a mid-20s black man. And people don't talk about him as often. And they don't talk about the actual details of the case, which is that it's entirely possible they were not having sex. And that what really happened that night was that Tyrone Garner um, and a third individual, Robert Eubanks, another white man, who was in an on and off relationship with Garner, were at Lawrence's house. Eubanks had been drinking and perceived, whether or not this was true, that Tyrone Garner was flirting with Lawrence. Again, I apologize mm -hmm. for forgetting his name. So he steps out, quote unquote, to buy some more soda. But what he really does when he steps out is he calls the police because he's jealous. Because a white man was jealous of the attention that a black man was getting. He calls the police on Lawrence's house and says, there's a crazy black man with a gun, and you need to come now. And so the police show up and arrest Lawrence and Garner, and that's it. The reason we have this landmark case 
is because, again, a white man tried to throw a black man under the bus, specifically by weaponizing the police against him. He knew that if the police showed up, and if he said, there's a crazy black man with a gun, that the cops would come in guns a-blazing. Which they did. Which they did. And we're lucky that he lived. We're lucky that Tyrone Garner wasn't killed that day. We just don't talk about the depth and the scope of this history of white people weaponizing the police against black people. I think that a lot of non-black people need to know that. I'm really fucking pissed, okay? There's a horn going off outside our apartment, and I'm not- It's probably gonna be for a while. It's probably gonna be for a while, so fuck it, I'm not gonna edit it out. And I really wanna say this, that being used simply to go after black people, regardless of what they're doing, is inherent in the history of the police. Everywhere. That's what white people have used the police for, is to go after black people. And we need to know that. We all need to know that because we need to mobilize and fight with the protesters who are currently on the front lines right now in the middle of a goddamn pandemic. Coronavirus hasn't gone away just because it's nice out. Punto. That's all. That's all I have to say. That's all I have to say, that people can do better. Every non-black person has to do better. And I'm, I'm, I'm very adamant about this because I see a lot of non-black people of color thinking that they're free, that they're free from having to like accept any sort of accountability in this issue whatsoever. Like we, you know, it's almost like the way that we accuse white people of needing to mobilize has provided a comfortable spo- uh, smoke screen for non-black people of color to kind of just sit back. And yes, white people need to do better, but also everyone who's not black right now needs to step up. So let's focus on some people that we think are doing the work right now and kind of give some shout outs to people we know, people we think you should follow? The first person that comes to mind, obviously, is Diane. Um, But I think in addition to her, um, I've been doing a lot of work with Liberation Health Strategies, Mm -hmm. um, um, which is run by Dr. L. Tony Lewis. She's an amazing woman out of Brooklyn, um, a physician, activist, dancer, uh, community leader, uh, wellness um, extraordinaire. I mean, and she's been working a lot with healing healers in Brownsville, Bed-Stuy, and around the city. Um, And I think it's really kind of focusing on the people who have been kind of outpouring all of their energy and love on behalf of communities right now. Call me biased. I'm always going to elevate other trans people, but I really want to highlight my friend Ianne Field-Stewart, you know, who we've talked about on the show before. We have plugged the Okra Project before. So, you know, even in the last couple of weeks, the Ochre Project has established um, the Nina Pop and Tony McDade Mental Health Funds, um, two separate mental health funds named for two black trans people who were murdered also within the same span of time, who we hadn't heard as much about. One of them, obviously, one of the funds is for trans femmes, one of them is for trans masks, uh, to receive these sort of micro grants that they can access mental health services. I know that Ian has been making the media rounds in order to garner support for the Ochre Project and that that support has been coming in waves. I know that other organizations that are doing similar work are for the girls, Black Trans Travel Fund, Black Trans Femmes in the Arts. I know that Black Trans Femmes in the Arts has also established a bail fund for black trans people. Black people have been leading the way 
for a really long time. And we need to do the same thing. And if we're not going to do that, and we're not going to organize for them, then we can at least get in line behind them when they're creating these initiatives and support them. Um, so I, I just want to give a shout out to those. And we're going to put all of these people in the show notes. Yeah. Um, these are all organizations that I think you should consider donating to. And there are also resources for if you are involved with the police, like knowing what your actual rights are and knowing, you know, if they tell you that you can't film, that you can, and the distance from which you need to be filming the cops and, the, and things like that. There are ways to get involved on many fronts. Yeah. Um, even from your own apartment. Even from I your mean, own apartment. You, you know, you can be kind of filming from your apartment window. Yeah. Um, I was actually just on a training last week um, by a friend of mine, Latino, mm-hmm. um, who did a cop watch training for other people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of breaking down the ways of um, getting involved, um, how to do it, what to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a, a great kind of resource. Um, and it's something that you can do in a socially distanced way. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's almost necessary to do in a socially distanced way because if you are kind of filming kind of police activity within less than six feet you're probably going to cause trouble for yourself and everyone involved and so um you can do it from six feet away you can do it from your apartment window um there's lots of ways of kind of getting involved Mm -hmm. i agree and remember this is a marathon not a sprint so you do need to slow down. You do need to take time to take care of yourself. It's going to be a long summer. It's going to be a long summer. Uh, I don't think this is going to end anytime soon, nor should it. I don't think this is something that we should sweep under the rug. That's going to do it for us this week. We'd like to thank Jay Smoove at the Jay Squad for letting us use his remix of the Jeffersons theme song. You can find them on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Music. Check out their website at jsquadbeats.com to learn more. We'd also like to thank Wooly Bears for designing the cover art. You can find him online at woollybears.com. That's Wooly Bears with a Z. On Instagram at Wooly Bears, or if you have a few bucks to spare, you can support him on Patreon at patreon.com slash woollybears. Speaking of Patreon, Housewarming Party is just one of the podcasts I'm rolling out this year. If you want to support the show and help us continue to deliver quality digital content, check out my Patreon and consider donating. You can find me at patreon.com slash sammyfix. That's patreon.com slash s-a-m-y-figs. We'll put everything in the show notes. If you like what you're hearing and want to support the show in a non-monetary way, tell a friend about the show. Better yet, you can rate us on Apple Podcasts. Positive ratings boost our show and help other people find it. Until next time, I'm Eddie Gonzalez-Novoa. And I'm Sami Figaredo. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. I love you. I love you. (laughs) 